Even though the male partner can contribute in up to 50% of all infertility cases, there's still much more research to be done as many cases receive an unknown cause diagnosis. So how can we get better at identifying infertility and its causes in our male patients? Welcome to Sex Med on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Paul DeGramji, and joining me today is Dr. Alexander Pastorshak, an assistant professor at the University of Utah School of Medicine. Dr. Pastorshak, Alex, welcome back, and thanks for joining us today. Paul, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here and really looking forward to this topic. It's one of my favorites. Absolutely. So let's get right to it. So why don't you start off by telling us what male infertility is and how it's defined? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, and you know I think we just need to take a step back and, and talk about infertility in general because infertility is a couple issue. It's not necessarily one or the other. It's really how the two come together that defines it as a problem. So by definition, infertility is when a couple, after having regular unprotected intercourse, can't initiate a pregnancy after ha- after doing that for 12 months or more. That's basically the definition of infertility. Okay, so the causes, of course, can be a lot more challenging. Can you get into that, please? Yeah, absolutely. So in in terms of how infertility breaks down between the man and the woman, you know, back in the dark ages, women's heads literally uh, would roll if they couldn't produce a son or a daughter for their husband because everybody attributed infertility solely to the woman. Uh, Only more recently do we realize that the male has a significant significant contribution, and as you said in the introduction, up to 50% of cases of infertility can be due to the male. There are a lot of causes of male infertility, you know, and these can range from genetic causes, which we're still teasing teasing out, and that's really where the research is focused, to physical causes, hormonal causes, neural causes, uh, causes related to prior conditions. And really, it's it's a laundry list that we don't have to even time to get, get through today. So now what you said is that the, the male infertility is really a couple's issue. So should therefore both males and females be evaluated? Is that what you're getting at? Yeah, and, and, that's, and that's such an important point to make, Paul. The reason for that is, like I said, you know, 50-50, right? Up to 50-50. So, you know, really when we look at our professional guidelines, both in the U.S. and in Europe, they recommend that both the male and the female are evaluated together simultaneously. The problem is that typically the woman gets an evaluation because, you know, women actually still drive a lot of health care here in the United States. Men are a lot more reticent to actually go get care. And then sometimes the man will be evaluated. And, and it's such a problem that, you know, that only 9% of men with potential fertility issues get evaluated. That means that 91% of men that may be contributing to infertility don't actually have an evaluation. All right. So now that we've defined what male infertility is, is, it as, is the diagnosis as simple as doing a sperm count? Or, or what are some of the causes and what are some of the incidences of male infertility? You know, you sort of mentioned sperm count, and as we were talking, I realized that we haven't talked about, you know, what do we actually do to evaluate guys? And, and you know, we, we may talk about that a little further down the road, but, you know, but typically we look at a guy's sperm count, we do a physical exam, and we look at his hormones. And we can, we can get into the weeds in a, in, a, in a few minutes, but what that helps us define are some of these causes. And, you know, some of the, some of the most common things that we see tend to include, like I said, physical causes earlier. So this could be obstruction, you know, sperm that can't get to where they're going, varicoceles, which are essentially varicose veins of the scrotum. And believe it or not, you know, even having that on one side can cause significant changes 
changes in, in sperm production, genetic causes, and, and this is actually probably an underappreciated cause, hormone causes. So if, you're, if your hormones are off, meaning like testosterone is too low, estrogen is too high, and some other things, you know, that can cause poor sperm production. You know, if you've had a history of cancer and been treated with chemotherapy, chemotherapy is notoriously bad for sperm production, and a lot of chemotherapies can actually permanently cause problems with sperm production, you know, and then, and then other prior surgical or medical issues like congenital abnormalities, prior infections in the testicles, issues with ejaculation, and then surgery that might affect erectile function, ejaculation, etc. Um, you can see I'm, I'm, I'm trying to keep this short, but I could keep going, and this is just the short list. All right, so that's actually pretty extensive, and we all need to know all about them. So is genetic influence, let's talk about that. Is that actually a factor in male infertility? A lot of causes of infertility are considered unknown or idiopathic. And you know, right now, we think that 50, up to 50% of those idiopathic causes of infertility are actually genetic. And just to give perspective to this, to date, about 1,500 genes have been linked to male factor infertility. Now, we don't have a clinical test for all 1,500 of these yet. Those are sort of in the works. There, there are companies that are working on this. But we think that there are more genes. I mean, we, in my lab and in a few labs across the country and, and more across the world, you know, more and more of these genes are being discovered. Uh, I'd like to say on a daily basis, but science doesn't work that fast. You know, but, but we're continuing to add to this list. So genetic causes are a very significant contributor to male infertility. The problem right now is that when a patient comes in and we suspect a genetic cause, we can, we can only detect far less than 1% of those causes. So it's hard to tell a patient exactly why they're infertile. For those just tuning in, this is Sex Med on Reach MD. I'm Dr. Paul DeGramji, and today I'm joined by Dr. Alexandra Pastorshak, and we're speaking about male infertility. So, Alex, continuing on, now that we have a better understanding of what male infertility is and what causes it, can you talk us through what a patient goes through when they're first diagnosed? We kind of touched on this a little bit with semen analysis, but what is the whole process of workup of a patient? Yeah, and this is this is really what the patients what patients need to know because, like I said, you know, guys don't want to visit a doctor. So, you know, how can we make it accessible to them and and have them understand what they're going to go through? So, you know, I, I will say that a fertility evaluation compared to most interactions with folks who are surgeons is fairly detailed. You know, it's it's part of what what I like about waking up in the morning and going to work is that I actually get to talk to my patients for a while. You know, get a lot of detail out of them about their history you know, and, and, and get to have a relationship with them over many months and in some cases years. But, you know, to, to answer your question specifically, you know, what the, the most important parts or really the, the parts of an initial fertility evaluation include a history. And this is very detailed because we want to know about their ability to have sex, any prior pregnancies that they might have initiated or their partner might have had, any past medical history, you know, any, any conditions that might influence their current, their current fertility, prior surgeries. Like I mentioned earlier, there are some surgeries in the pelvis that can affect their ability to ejaculate. You know, if anybody's had prostate surgery, that can affect their ability to ejaculate or, or the direction in which their sperm can go. And then there is a, a hormonal analysis. And the most important hormones that we look at are testosterone, which is very important for sperm production, and then follicle-stimulating hormone, or FSH, because this is the signal from the brain that tells the testicles to make sperm. 
obviously we do a semen analysis, and actually the the guidelines recommend that recommend doing two initially because guys vary drastically in in their sperm counts and other uh, semen parameters. And then obviously we do a physical exam to look at primarily their testicles and in in some cases do do imaging and adjunct studies depending on where that where that initial evaluation goes. I mentioned earlier that genetic causes can be significant, but the genetic testing that we have is really kind of in the dark ages. There are really two genetic tests that we can offer on a clinical basis to patients right now, and those look very specifically at deletions on the Y chromosome, which have been tied to infertility in 8 to 11% of men, and then a karyotype, which is like looking at the United States from space. The detail that you get out of that is not very helpful when you look at some of the molecular defects, genetic defects that cause infertility. So you've done a careful history, physical exam, maybe even some testing. You said that about 50% of the time, though, the cause is unknown. But looking at the known causes, what are the top two or three most likely causes of male infertility? So most of the time, guys will come in with... So varicocele is the most common surgically correctable cause of male infertility, and we see a lot of guys with varicocele, so that's certainly in the top three. And then a lot of guys will also come in with some hormonal dysfunction, meaning their testosterone levels are a little on the low side, you know, and they, they may have some other hormonal issues that we can potentially fix with medical management. Those are probably the most common things we do in a practice and the easiest to fix in most guys. All right, so once you've made the diagnosis, then what are the treatment options for these different diagnoses? Yeah, so, so this is kind of where it gets fun for, you know, for, the, for the physician. And, and the good news for the patient is that no matter the cause of your infertility, and, and like I said, a lot, of the, a lot of times we can't tell you exactly what it is, the majority of the time we can treat you one way or another. So I think that's an important message that patients need to take home. But to answer your question, oftentimes we'll put patients on, on medical management, and, and this usually involves drugs that raise their testosterone levels. And, and another important point to make is a lot of patients and even some physicians think that giving a patient testosterone is a good idea for infertility, but it's not. Testosterone is actually an excellent contraceptive. So over the course of a few months, it will actually reduce sperm count sometimes to completely zero. So we give medications that will stimulate the body to produce testosterone naturally and stimulate the testicles to make sperm naturally rather than inhibiting that. And then there are surgical treatments as well. And, and like I mentioned, Vericocele is the most common surgically treatable cause of male infertility. So we very often fix those and that's microsurgery. You know, we can reverse vasectomies, we can reverse obstructions. These are all surgical treatments. And then, you know, for the men who don't have a medically treatable cause or a surgical treatable cause where we can improve sperm production or sperm transport, we as urologists can always work to obtain sperm from the testicle or from uh, from parts of the testicle that can then be used for IVF. So, you know, while medical or surgical treatment to help men have more sperm in their ejaculate may not always be successful, the oftentimes we can find sperm in the testis that helps a couple have babies through IVF. So you said that there's quite a bit you can do for patients. Do you reassure your male patients that probably you'll be able to get them to conceive? So that's a tough question to answer. I, I mean, I think it's important for patients to always have hope, but as we talked about at the beginning, it's not just the male, right? I mean, if I find sperm in a male, which 
I will in the majority of patients, even if I have to go into the into the guy's testicles under microscope in the operating room, that doesn't mean that he can conceive because the other half of the equation is his partner. So if on the female side we're able to get eggs and you know and successfully put the sperm and the egg together, then you know, then there's there's a good chance that they'll be able to get pregnant. But the wild card is always on the female side once we're able to help the guy. So, you know, to take a step back, you and I both know that in medicine, you know, we can't we can't make guarantees. You know, in the in the fertility world, I think there's always hope and most guys, most couples actually that that I've worked with can have a child, but not everybody. So, you know, the one question when you say take a step back that also comes to mind is when a couple is determined to have an infertility issue, they've tried for one year, they can't conceive, do both get tested at the same time or does a male go first then a female? Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's, a, that's a great question. So actually a lot of times the, the, the female initiates the, the evaluation. And so, so most of the guys that I'll see in clinic are there because Either their partner said, hey, man, you know, I'm getting evaluated. You go get yourself evaluated. Or the partner's physician said, hey, you know, like you're fine to the female. And, um, and then to the guy, you know, you should get yourself worked up. And then even, and then even less frequently than that is, what we, is where we follow the guidelines, which is, you know, female goes to get evaluated and, you know, the physician on that side says, well, you know, we don't know what's going on with you yet. We're going to work you up, but really you, sir, should also get evaluated. So it's a complex calculus where, again, the, the woman usually drives most of the things and it's the minority of the time that the guy shows up in my office and says, hey, I am taking the lead and I'm taking the bull by the horns, so let's get going. Yeah, so it sounds like a lot of times the infertility workup is happening, at least in some cases, concurrently. All right, so as before we wrap up, is there anything that we haven't covered that you'd like to share with us, Alex? I think just to summarize, you know, the take-home points for anybody who's listening, whether it's a physician or a patient or anybody, is really that infertility is a couple issue, right? So you've got the man and the woman, and both need to work in order to conceive. There is good treatment for both male and female infertility. Uh, yes, there are, you know, separate groups of physicians, separate fields of medicine that, you know, that evaluate the male and the female, but we work very closely together. And once treated, there is a good chance of conception. So, you know, couples who are struggling with fertility, you know, shouldn't be discouraged they should definitely be evaluated and they should take it as far as they can. You know, and I, th I think that's, those are some of the key points that I want people to walk away with. Well, Alex, I want to thank you for joining me to talk about male infertility and for helping our audience gain a better understanding about this very important subject. It was great having you back on the program today. Well, you know, Paul, thanks so much for having me and for talking about this really important topic. I think it's an underserved area of medicine, and, and I think that, you know, that we all need to know about it, and guys need to think about it and get evaluated and treated. So I really appreciate having the opportunity to chat about it. I'm Dr. Paul DeGramji, and you've been listening to Sex Med on Reach MD. To access this episode and others in this series, visit reachmd.com slash sexmed, where you can be part of the knowledge.